0: I'd love to have you take your Bibles, if you have one handy, and turn with me to 2 Samuel 7. You heard Ben mention a moment ago, we're stepping out of our preaching series in Matthew, to which we will return right after Advent. Uh, but for the next several weeks, we will be preaching four sermons that all tie in with our Christmas program. I'll tell you a little bit about, about why. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, I was, had the privilege to climb Mount St. Helens, you know that Big mountain down there that blew its top several years ago. Some of us remember well. Climbed it twice. And uh, one thing I noticed if you've ever climbed mountains, you know that the further up you go, the easier it is to notice other mountain peaks. So I I was up there with the group and we stood on the edge uh, and then realized this is really not good and stepped back from the edge. But then in looking around, uh, from the top of a mountain, you can look north and you can see Mount Rainier. You can look south and see Mount Hood and Three Sisters. You can look east and see Mount Adams. In between all the mountain peaks, of course, normal life going on. Uh, cars and people and houses and things going on. But you notice the mountain peaks. And in our Advent series, giving you a little bit of information here on your study sheet, we're, we're going to the mountain peaks. And we've identified seven. Oh, you could do 10 or 12. I know. But seven seemed like, a, you know, a reasonable number. And so... We're working through, a, for the second time, uh, seven mountain peaks in the story of redemption. If you look at the, uh, the list there in front of you, you'll see we are on number three in that series of seven. And again, it's our second round, so seven years ago we were here too. And I'll give you an idea of where we're going. But, but those mountain peaks in the story of redemption, that if you, if you understand them, it will help you read the Bible It'll help you see clearly the, the the big plan of God. And so this year, under the, the heading of Shepherd, Warrior, King, we'll be looking at David and David as he points ahead to the greater Shepherd, Warrior, King, Jesus. This morning, I want to just introduce us to all of that. And... Um, you know, I, I think it'll kind of make sense if you have your Bible open to Second Samuel seven. Now, um, I've got here on your study sheet a, a category called "Why Study This Text." If you look at it, not sure what headings you have, but this is you know, called by theologians the Davidic Covenant. It's God's promises to David, and so we're going to come here this morning and just to look at how we have this laid out. And want to pray for us, and we'll get after it. But I'm going to read a part of this story and tell, to kind of put it in its biblical context. And then from there, I want to jump off, not to return today, and move through a number of texts all the way through the end of the Bible. Today, different style of preaching. I'm going to be asking you to, instead of staying in one spot with me, to kind of move with me to several places. And I want us to see uh, what I've called Christmas with the King. David, David, shepherd, warrior, king, pointing the way. The Bible does it on purpose, pointing the way to Jesus, our Shepherd, Warrior, King. Now, heads up, okay? Um, we're going to take that little journey. It'll be quicker than than some of our journeys through Scripture. And then I am going to transition. You see it on your study sheet there, second page says transition to Communion. We're going to remember Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection today. But at that point in the sermon, rather than later. I'm going to step down, you'll understand why at the, at the moment, and I want to talk us through why it matters to us that Jesus is our shepherd, warrior, king, and there are, there's going to be some emotion to some of the things that I'm going to share with you, and I think it'll make sense, but all of this together today, uh, looking at Jesus ultimately, yes, David, but paving the way for us to come to Jesus who is our shepherd, warrior, king. And I want us to go there together. Okay? Make sense? I want to pray for us. Let's ask God's help. Father, as we come to your word today, as always, we pause to, to look to you and say, help us. Please help us. So many times we are tempted to come to the scriptures for information, information alone, perhaps and and maybe even to leave saying, now I know more. And knowing's important, it is. Knowledge of Scripture, yes. But you are always after changing us and changing our hearts by your word, by the work of the Spirit of God. And so the the, the work of Scripture is not complete once we know it, until it is connected with our hearts and, and affected us and changed us. And Father, we we ask for that today, that you would use your word as the the true sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to do, do work in us today. We come to you asking you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at that section with me called Why Study This Text, we're we're jumping into the middle of the story of David, all right? Some of this we'll return to in the weeks ahead, but for today, we're jumping right in. So when you come to 2 Samuel 7, the story of David and Goliath is history. That's in the past. If you come to our program, you'll see that portrayed on stage, uh, the whole story of David. But, but uh, f- for our purposes today, uh, sh- uh, the battle with Goliath is history. Uh, the running from King Saul, also history. David has been crowned as king and uh, kingdom established. And it's at a good moment. He's at a good time. And in 2 Samuel 7, then, God sends Nathan the prophet. We're going to meet him later, of course, in another more difficult moment of David's life. But here comes Nathan again, who is going to have a conversation with King David as he sits on the throne of Israel. And Nathan is going to speak on God's behalf. And the Davidic covenant, here's what I'm after today, all right, just so you know. I want us to see how the Davidic covenant, this text, all right, is is a key to understanding the whole Bible from this point on. It's it's a mountain peak. So to get this text is to, is to be uh, able to understand. You're going to see it from here on when you read from this part of the Bible onward. You're going to notice. There it is again. There it is again. There it is again. The promises of God that he never forgets and will indeed fulfill. So, If you look at uh, the the study sheet here, I'm giving you a little information on why study this text, an important key in unlocking the big picture, the big picture message of the Bible. So I'm going to read, I'm going to jump right in the middle and I'm going to stop right in the middle. So, you know, forgive me for that, but it's what we'll do today. I'm going to start reading at 2 Samuel 7 verse 8, and this is uh, God speaking to Nathan, then Nathan to David. Those are the pronouns going on there, and then we'll stop in the middle of a prayer and And explain why. But 2 Samuel 7, then starting verse 8, the voice of God begins by saying, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. So God is speaking to Nathan. Here we go. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Here's the speech to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have Been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Doesn't that sound good? Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Yes, Lord, do it. People of God would say, do it, Lord, do it. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, to David, that the Lord will make you a house. And I want you to watch that same term house is used in different ways in what's to follow. In some cases, a, a, a dynasty. In some cases, it's used in other ways, like a temple. So watch for that. When your days are fulfilled. And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall, he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and he, he sat before the Lord. I love this picture. He sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And then on he goes in a prayer. You'll see all of this, of course, represented on our stage this Saturday, twice, Sunday evening, next Uh, This is the 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 background behind our Christmas program now Again looking with me at your study sheet and the text in front of you If you break down the promises that are here There are four specifics in in the weeks ahead. We'll take more time on all of these I promise. Okay, but for today Here are the four specifics. God gives a promise of a king a coming king another king after David Coming king, a promised dynasty, a house. I'll give you a house, a dynasty. Verse 19, a charter, I've called it here. I'll explain it in a minute. A charter for humanity and a future kingdom. Now listen, all of this did not stay between David and Nathan and God. This was shared with the people of God and formed the the, the basis for, for a longing in God's people for centuries to come. And that's what we sang about already. That's some of the text we heard already. Isaiah, I, I love this, this season of Advent, this longing, come, come Emmanuel. And it's this text that forms the foundation for that. Okay. God's people from this moment on, they heard this, they knew it. God has made promises of a future King, a dynasty, a time of peace. And there was a longing from the people of God. Then as now, Oh God, do it. come, Come, Emmanuel, be to us Prince of Peace. God's people prayed that way all the way down through the years. Now, I mentioned verse nineteen, a, a, a instruction for mankind. I, I lean here on Dr. Walter Kaiser, an eminent Old Testament theologian, in particular his book *Toward in Old Testament Theology* and other writings. As he unpacks the Old Testament, he looks at this text uh, as a backbone of the Old Testament, certainly, but this phrase instruction for mankind it's his translation that i'm using here a charter for mankind he explains translation issues and so on from hebrew to english and and all of that and says this 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 davidic covenant is like a plan it's like a well a charter for all that is to come and i think we're going to see that that's what i want to lean toward today it says a charter for mankind dr kaiser would say Uh, instruction for mankind. This is is laying out a framework of what God is going to do. And I I want us to see that with great celebration today. And that next little bullet point is really what I'm after today. David, David, was a shepherd warrior king. We'll see it today in its seed form. Much more detail to come. David was a shepherd warrior king who, who prepares in advance. He points the way To the greater shepherd, warrior, king, Jesus. I want you to see the line, the connection between David, shepherd, warrior, king, Jesus, shepherd, warrior, king. All right? Now, uh, if you see on your study sheet here, this journey then that I would like for us to take, there are six different categories. I've given six bullet points of texts that I'd like to visit. Some of these are in anticipation. Messianic hope anticipation the voice of the prophets and i want us to see that voice of the prophets going to the people on the street the common people understood it and then we'll get to exultation in in um, the new testament books exulting praising god for what he has done but the people of god longed. this formed the basis of their hope for all that was to come true peace true peace for which they hoped all right are you ready to take a journey with me then yeah, there's going to be some work. It's like, the old, you know, Sunday school back in the day when you did sword drills. Remember that? Some of us are old enough to have done that. We said, okay, turning in our Bibles now, and you went there. So here we go. It's not the way we normally do it, but it is today. Psalm 89. Uh, I'll tell you ahead of time, this is a matter of selection. These are not the only places to which we could go. Just a few of them. But I want us to see that the Davidic Covenant, 2 Samuel 7, It's just just played out on the pages of Scripture. Uh, May I say this? Is this kind of like a quiz today with one answer? (laughs) 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic Covenant. That will be the answer to every question I ask you today. What do you think they're looking at? Yeah, exactly. And I just hear the music played. It's all over the place. And I'm giving us just a few. Psalm 89 then. Familiar, familiar psalm. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. You, you perhaps know the song from the, the 70s. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, the songwriter says, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you'll establish your faithfulness. You have said, O God, I will, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. What is the songwriter writing about? Come on. It's second Samuel seven. And he goes on. If you skip down to verse 19, big section. Look at this. Might not have noticed as you read this of old. He says, you've spoken in a vision to your godly one and said, I've granted help to one who is mighty. I've exalted one chosen from the people. I found David, my servant with my holy oil. I've anointed him so that my hand will be established with him. My arm will strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The the wicked shall not humble him. Glancing on down, um, I'm looking at verse uh, 29. I'll establish his offspring forever. His throne as the days of the heaven. Verse 33, I'll not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I'll not violate my covenant or alter the words that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I'll not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. What is the songwriter singing about? Man, that's it. God made promises. And now, years later, we're writing music about it. I love this. Keep on going. Jeremiah 33. We're not going to be staying long in any of these. I just want you to see it over and over again. And again, selective, selective choices today. There are many others we could go to. Jeremiah 33. The voice of the prophets. We already heard today from from Isaiah. We come to Jeremiah today, chapter 33, verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, you pause and say, oh, really? I wonder what promise that was. He'll tell you in those days. And at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, like like a branch of a tree. We're familiar with that analogy. A branch will spring up from David. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely, a coming time of peace. And this is the name by which it, that branch, will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And if you look up to verse 20, oh, listen, read this word of God and believe it. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, So that day and night will not come at their appointed time. Then also my covenant with David, my servant may be broken. You see that? As long as the sun rises and the sun sets, God says, I will keep my promise. And if you noticed already today, indeed, the sun rises, the sun sets. God says, I'll keep my promise until that ends. That's the idea. My promises to David, all of this is looking back. It's looking back. Verse 22, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, the sands of the sea cannot be measured. So I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of God. You believe that? You believe it? Now, anticipation, anticipation. Come with me to Luke chapter 1. So I just want you to hear these these, these these elements that are that are. Played out, you might read right over it and not notice, but scripture's making a point. God is making a point. Luke chapter one, this familiar Christmas story. We step into the conversation between the angel Gabriel and Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of, what is it? Of the house of David. It's expecting you as the reader to go, oh, that's right, David, David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying, I think so. And she began to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And look at this. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And right away, good Jewish people would say, yes, second Samuel seven. It's the Davidic covenant. It's Jesus. He's the one he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Gabriel is saying, you remember the Davidic covenant uh, by any chance, Mary? She did. She did. Remember that? God is fulfilling that in the person of his son, Jesus, this one who's to come. By the way, Mary, you're going to give birth to him. This one who is a fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. It's him. He's here. Across the page, chapter 2, the angels are going to sing. Again, hints all the way through. Chapter 2, verse 11, what do the angels say? For unto you is born this day the city of David, the Savior, Christ the Lord, tying Tying Old Testament, tying 2 Samuel 7 to this coming one, this Jesus. Now, I want to go back a couple Gospels to Matthew, the text we are working our way through, and as I mentioned, to which we'll return at the end of Advent. But come to chapter 9 with me. I'm I'm after something here in this Gospel, just a few examples where you see that the people on the street... Knew this. It wasn't just special people. Normal, run of the mill people knew 2 Samuel 7. They knew the Old Testament and they're longing for that day, that coming peace, and they're saying, Oh God, do it. Come, Emmanuel, come. It was just normal, normal understanding, normal parlance. So in chapter 9, then, verse 27, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us. What is it? Son of David. What do they mean by that? 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. You're the one. It's a statement of them believing that this Jesus is the Messiah of old, the promised one, the greater son of David. They're expressing their faith in this, in, in Jesus. Jesus is the healer. He's the great teacher. They've heard. And so when he passes by, these blind men are saying, Jesus, son of David, Messiah, that one. Mercy, mercy, mercy upon us. Chapter 12. Chapter 12, guess what we're going to see? It's going to get predictable, if it isn't already. Chapter 12, 22, a demon-possessed or a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. He healed him so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed. And what's their question? Could this be the son of David? What do they mean? (laughs) Come on. They mean the one spoken of. In the Old Testament, they mean that one of 2 Samuel 7. Could this be the son of David? That's their question. The Pharisees heard it. They said, no, can't be. Can't be that one. Chapter 20. Stay with me on these. Stay with me. Chapter 20, verse 29. As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. Behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked him, telling them to be silent. They cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Again, affirming, we believe that he's the one. Now, right into chapter 21 is the next one. Chapter 21 is a story of what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. And you read about that starting at chapter 21, verse 1. I think most of us familiar with this. Uh, this account, Jesus coming in to Jerusalem, presented as Messiah. But Matthew records the words of the crowd, the anticipation, the expectation in verse 9. The crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That, that song of praise, which we're very familiar with at Palm Sunday season, is based on Second Samuel 7. One of the texts. It's the Davidic covenant. And the crowd is calling out, this is the one. We believe he's here. Now, interestingly, as you come to uh, chapter 22, this is the next little bullet point. There's this is wonderful little vignette where Jesus explains some things about this. Matthew 22. You guys staying with me? You on this? You here? Just Checking. Making sure. All right. Got to know the answer to this. Because it's important. A whole Advent preaching series rests on us getting a hold of this. So chapter 22, then, verse 41. Well, the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. He's kind of playing with him here, but it's a teaching point. He asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah, that is? Whose son is he? Isn't this fun? He knows the answer. He's It's him. So whose whose son do you think the Messiah is? He's just waiting for these great, you know, people are supposed to know the Bible to to answer. And they said to him, well, uh, the son of David, how'd they know that? I know, I know. They'd read it too, 2 Samuel 7. And Jesus said to them, here's his question, well, then how is it that David in the spirit calls him, that is the descendant, Lord, saying the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Do you understand the question? Jesus is saying this, uh, David's greater son mentioned in second Samuel 7, you're going to have a greater son, this one to be king forever. It's a descendant. Why would you call your descendant Lord? Why would you do that? For what possible reason would you call a descendant Lord? Well, you know the answer because you've read the rest of the book. That would be possible if the one who's a descendant is indeed greater than David, the greater son of David, that is God in the flesh. But at the time, these folks under, don't, don't understand. It says they they had no answer. They were not able to answer him a word. They didn't understand how you would call a descendant Lord. And Jesus is saying, huh, isn't that curious? How could David call a greater son to come Lord, imagine, for what possible reason would that be true? Only if the descendant was indeed greater, as was Jesus. Now, words of anticipation, I've given us just a few. The Son of David expression just explains, it draws a connection to the Old Testament, To 2 Samuel 7. I want us to see in what I've called exaltation, anticipation, exaltation, Romans 1. And again, I'm just grabbing a couple from, from the various letters of Paul and so on, you'll see it as you read your Bible. You'll see these things in, in, with a whole new light, for, I think, from here on. But this opening paragraph of, you could call it the Gospel, I suppose, the four Gospels, and yet the book of Romans, Martin Luther would call a greater Gospel, too, <clears throat> telling the story of Jesus. But this opening paragraph, I just love it. It is just packed full of, of great theology And Paul says this as he begins this great letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Old Testament, or the Holy Scriptures. Yes, indeed, Old Testament. Concerning his son, watch this, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Great commission, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So he's giving the credentials of Jesus. And he mentions in verse three, Jesus, son of David. Jesus declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Human, fully God, both Wed in Messiah Jesus, this greater son of David. Now, stay with me here. One more step. All the way from time as it fades into eternity, this song is being played. So if you come to Revelation 22, you hear it again from the words of Jesus. As time fades and eternity, we might say, begins Revelation 22 verse 16 we read I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Here's how he identifies himself. I am the root and descendant of David. The bright morning star. It's how Jesus identifies himself. I'm that one. I'm the fulfillment of the promise of God made long years ago recorded in second samuel 7 the davidic covenant now that is a very very fast flyover of second samuel 7 from that moment down through the ages the prophets and uh, the dispersion and the gospels and new t- anyway to eternity but I, I, I want us to see that David, David, we're going to look at him more next week. How a shepherd becomes a king wants to identify with David in that in that work of God in his life. David, a shepherd, warrior, king points toward Jesus, our shepherd, warrior, king. Now, as promised, I'm going to make a shift right here, OK, because I want us to move Really from David, all the way to Jesus. And I want to take a few minutes and through this time we're going to celebrate communion. But I want us to think together about Jesus as our shepherd, warrior, king. and I'm going to step down. Uh, those who are going to serve us can just can wait, we'll have you shift in just a little bit here to come and serve us and so on. but I I, I, want, to, I want to work with you through those couple of bullet points on your study sheet under application, taking God's word home. If you'd look at that with me, Um, I've been weighing these things very carefully and asking that God would do with you what he is doing with me, right? Helping us hear this and feel it and understand it and value it. So Jesus is our shepherd warrior King. We often think of shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd as one who gives us a, like a heavenly hug, right? It's what shepherds do. Well, that's good. That's good. He shepherds our hearts, but shepherds also guide and rescue and pull sheep back from the edge and discipline and feed. It's what shepherds do. Warrior. Well, we quickly think of Jesus fighting battles external to us. Yes, Jesus, go get him. He also fights the battles within us. Do you have any of those? Warrior. We'll be thinking about that today. King. Yes, reigning on the throne of heaven. Someday king over all. I know, I know, I know in, in that active sense. But even today, as our king, he calls us to to live before him as before a king. He does. Jesus, shepherd, warrior, king. So then, bullet point two in his merciful grace. God uses all means possible to fight for our hearts. All means possible, including his wise and sovereign use of pain. Do you have any of that? To pry our fingers off of what we so desperately want to confront our sin And to point our hearts to Christ and Christ alone as our true savior and sustainer. Listen, we chase all kinds of false saviors. Small s. Those things to give our lives meaning, to rescue us. We use money or power or possessions or people. We seek saving in a lot of places other than Jesus. We do. There's a battle for this. God uses wisely pain to pry our hearts off of those things to turn us to Jesus. Now, there are two things I'm going to read to you. One now and the other in a few minutes. And um, this is the story of some pain. Okay, I, this little book, it's called uh, Giving You the Titles and So On There on Your Study Sheet. Pray for Kaya. It's written by a friend of, of ours, um, Ryan and Leanne Donovan. This is, a ser- this is 13 letters, 13 blog posts, okay, uh, from a, an event in their lives where God used pain. And I'm going to tell you about it and then read a few things. My purpose is not just that you would identify with them because your pain is different from theirs, okay? But here's what I'm after. They're telling a story about how, in a season of great pain, they ran toward Jesus, not away from him. That's what I'm after. Okay? Shepherd, warrior, king. They ran toward him, not away. Um, back in 2011, Ryan and Leanne, again, uh, we've known Ryan since he was a little guy, did their wedding and um, have just cared for them, shepherded them through all this. Um, uh, They gave birth to a little girl who was to live 20 days. At her birth, of course, they didn't know that. But these are blog posts that they used to tell their friends what was going on. Okay, that's the idea of what I'm going to read to you. Just little pieces. I'm skipping big chunks. So would you feel like there was a big leap? There was. July 30, 2011, 2.58 a.m. Hello, friends. Leanne and I are very proud to announce our daughter, Kaya Brielle Donovan, was born this afternoon at 2.03. She's beautiful. We love her already, though we've hardly had the chance to get to know her yet. Immediately upon birth, it was evident that Kaya wasn't breathing quite right. This morning, as I prepared for whatever was to lie ahead of us, I came across Psalm 34, verse 8, that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. We hold out hope for the health of our beautiful daughter. We're boldly asking God to surprise the doctors. We're asking God to give us strength to handle what is in front of us today. We're going to do the same thing tomorrow. Manna. It seems unlikely at this point that Kaya will ever learn to walk, to talk, or do those things that most people do. The larger questions that loom are whether she'll be able to breathe or eat on her own. We learned today that Kaya's brain is malformed in the way that doctors suspected. And if so, it's likely that the and I will be asked at some point to make some of the hardest decisions imaginable. Our father loves Kaya. He weeps as we weep. He knows our pain and our struggle. He knows what he's doing. So at this point, he, he isn't taking the pain away, though he's able to. But there's no doubt that he is in this pit with us, experiencing our pain, too. This is what a father does. We're so glad we have a perfect father like that. He's reflecting in this blog post on John 9, the man born blind, the question's asked in the text, Why? Ryan says, We certainly ask those same questions about Kaya. Why? Jesus' answer to the man born blind was, This happened so that the work of God would be displayed. Remember that? He talks about that a little bit. And then, August 18th, 2011, 302. Today, Kaya went to be with Jesus at about 510. Her last moments on earth were in my arms. From my arms, she went directly to the arms of her loving Heavenly Father. And in this last blog post, he says several things, including pray for us. Please pray for us. This is so hard. And we trust God with this pain. We trust him. We're going to run to him, not from him. So what's your pain today? And are you running to him? Shepherd, warrior, king are you running to him or are you seeking false saviors false hope elsewhere as we come to communion we're remembering Jesus in his death burial and resurrection if you know Jesus we invite you to share with us in taking the bread and then the cup And when that little piece of bread is in your hand I'm going to read you something else but I I want that tangibility for us today little piece of bread is a reminder of his body broken for us on the cross. The cup points us to his blood shed for us. The way we serve communion here, the guys will distribute the bread first, and then I'll say just a couple things, as I mentioned, then we'll take the bread and do the same with the cup, together, meeting with Jesus. A lot of things for you to think about in these moments of reflection. I want to pray for us now. The guys can come and we'll prepare to serve you. Our Father, thank you that you are the architect of this great story of redemption, and we're in the middle of it right here. Yes, indeed. Christ has come. Sin has been paid for. Christ rose from the dead, and in all of this, we rejoice. And now, as we live out this life of redemption, we come again and again and again to you, the fountain of living water. We come again, again and again to confess sin and how we quickly find hope elsewhere or seek satisfaction and saving elsewhere. Father, thank you today for Jesus. Thank you for being to us, a shepherd, warrior, king, turning our hearts back to you. Help us now in these moments as we reflect on you, wise, wise king. In Jesus' name, amen. In his merciful grace, God often uses pain and struggle. To pry our hearts our hands off of things that don't save us and to turn us to Jesus. So my question is, where is that struggle in your life? Where is that? Where is that battle? Where is the battlefront where God is prying your hands off of things and fighting for your heart? Where is that for you? It takes all kinds of forms for different people. For some, it's relationships. For some, it's substances. For some, it's money. Where is God fighting That battle in your life right now for your affection. I want you to listen carefully to this. Um, This is from Paul Tripp book referenced again on your study sheet. The struggle of struggles is the battle for your heart. There will be a day when the struggle is finally over and God will own our hearts unchallenged for eternity. But today the struggle goes on. I hear this. God fights for us with the full might of his redemptive hand. He is willing to make us uncomfortable and sad. He is willing to bring us through suffering and grief. He is willing to shake us and unsettle us. He is willing to get this. He is willing to squash our dreams and let the air out of our hopes. He is willing to let what we have craved slip like sand through our fingers. And he does all of this because we are precious to him. In his mercy he does these things, not in his anger, in his mercy. So, again, Paul Tripp says, so reject the self-pity. Reject the envy and discouragement that are so tempting at this time of struggle. That is, look to heaven and be thankful. You're being rescued. Celebrate the one who again and again delivers from what? By yourself. You would be powerless to escape. A little piece of bread is a... Reminder to us of the body of Christ broken for us. He paid for our sin. He fights for our hearts. Let's remember him together. So I asked you a moment ago where that place of struggle is in your life. Where perhaps is God using pain and difficulty to fight for your heart so that you'll turn only to him. Well, listen, there's coming a day when the struggle will be done. There's coming a day. It won't be forever. It won't be forever. Revelation 21, verses of triumph. He will wipe away, what's it say? Every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore for these former things will have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Yes, there's a struggle, but it will not last forever. Let's remember Christ. And stand with, me, stand with me, if you would. I want to pray for us. Father, today we rejoice in our Savior, Jesus. Oh, how we need Christ, how we need saving We thank you for his redemptive work on the cross, finished once and for all, and for that ongoing battle that takes place within us as the spirit of God is at work. Yes, Jesus, our shepherd, warrior, king. Thank you, O God, for being that to us. Pray for your care for each of these, your people this week. Draw our hearts to you and keep us, O God, in the midst of struggle from running away from you. Help us to run to you. We'll thank you as you do that. In Jesus' great name, amen.